Good morning. It's great to be back. And uh, I love saying this. Open your Bibles. Open your Bibles to John chapter 8. John chapter 8 this morning. Thank you, worship team, for just a delightful God-directed time. As you're turning to John chapter 8, and if you don't have a Bible, we've got some people with Bibles. We're big about the Bible around here. And uh, as you're turning there, just a couple of quick little notes. One is, uh, would you just continue to pray for our facility process here? I was gone last week, gave a video and just kind of some update on that. And uh, we're working towards that. Uh, but I will just say this, God's got plenty of room to be able to take the whole thing off the table if he wants to. And so we are asking you to pray, okay? Um, just pray for endurance, pray for God's working and the details of this thing. And God would show himself big in it. Also, I want to say a thank you to all of those who have gone down for the last couple of months to Harvest Bloomington and just served in their children's ministry down there. We had asked uh, a few teams to do that over a period of time as Harvest Bloomington launches. And I was talking with Pastor Josh this morning. He was just or earlier this week, and he was just so grateful for your service. So those of you who went down and served, it was a lot of sacrifice and a lot of time to do that. Thank you for the rest of the church family who had to fill in for them as they stepped out of various roles. Thank you. And just this is a whole church thing altogether anyway. And it was really cool because Josh had mentioned they had their first party with the pastors. They had 50 people at their first party with their pastors. And uh, he, he said one of the, and it is, praise the Lord, it was uh, one of the biggest moments in the whole night for people to get what was going on was actually, he didn't even have it planned in his notes, was actually a question was asked and he mentioned that there were teams that had come down from Harvest Hindi West to be able to help with their kids' ministries as they got going. And he said the people who were there were like, just like blown away by that, that other churches and team sister, brother in Christ churches would do that. And he said that was actually a moment for the night that for majority of those people, they're like, I want to be a part of something like this. So uh, your impact was beyond what you may know. Well, let's jump into John chapter eight. Got your Bibles open there? All right. Now you look at the very beginning of your Bibles, like in the top of mine, right before it, it says the earliest manuscripts do not include this uh, verse 53 is supposed to verse 53 of chapter seven of the first 11 verses of chapter eight, or maybe in your Bible, it's footnoted. And let me just kind of make mention of this because there's only a few places in the Bible where this kind of thing is noted. And frankly, I love the fact that it's noted. It just shows the integrity of how we approach the scriptures and realizing that, hey, there are some things in some of the manuscripts where there's a few questions here or there. And this is one of those. Uh, is this text original? Well, let me kind of make it this comment. Uh, ver these verses are present in various medieval Greek minuscule manuscripts, they call them. Uh, they are absent from all of the earliest Greek manuscripts that we have, uh, as well as all the early church fathers omit this a narrative uh, in that. Uh, yet on the other hand, I would say it this way, there's little doubt that the, the event contained in these 12 verses, there's little doubt that this happened. Uh, you can see some of it will note, some manuscripts place it later in the book, place it here. Uh, it, did John write this? Is it supposed to be here? I don't know, and I don't think that's quite the, as much of the issue. Um, but I will say this, I have no pre problem preaching it, uh, but I would always note the fact of it. But uh, in this, I'll put it this way, it cannot be proved that this, uh, these 12 verses formed were an integral part of the fourth gospel right at this point, but neither is it possible to eliminate it with any degree of formality. 
Um, so here's how we're, we're going to do. I'm going to approach this text here as, because it is a fantastic introduction to the rest of the chapter. So I'm going to approach it that way. And so we're going to read these verses. We're going to see some things come to light here uh, that show in the rest of the text. So let's read these first 11 verses. John chapter 8, or wherever it starts there, 53. They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. So where is he? He's at the temple, at the temple grounds. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to him, to Jesus, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, it commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? Verse six, they said this to test him that they might have some some charge to bring against him. I want to tell you, let's just pause here for a minute. They are true, and yet they're not right. Deuteronomy 22, 22 does say this. If a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, which I think is the case here, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. You must purge the evil from Israel. Oh, by the way, do you get an idea? Sin's pretty serious. Um, where's the man? Uh, I, I think there's two possibilities. One, he either got away quicker, literally, or two, he was in on the whole thing. And I don't know because the text doesn't tell us, and I want to note it as such. But I will say the way this is going, I wonder if the man was not part of the setup. And I just want to say this. These are the religious leaders of the day. How sad is this? Honestly, they could give a rip about this woman. Let's keep reading verse 6. This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. By the way, uh, this statement here, usually when we read that, we think if anybody is without sin, well, nobody's without sin. It's very possible that the formation of the language right here, that Jesus is actually being much more narrow. That it's possible that what Jesus is actually saying amongst all these guys who are coming after, bringing her to set him up, that he's actually saying, whoever has not committed the like sin, cast the first stone. The language has the possibility of actually saying that. That puts an interesting tone on it, doesn't it? Verse 8, and once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older one. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? It really could be, ma'am, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Whoa. Does God let the guilty go unpunished? Is that what's happening here? No, that actually would be unjust. God fully intended 
that the sin that took place here in this adultery would be punished to its fullest extent by his law. But she would not bear the punishment. Who would? Wow. The one who is right there declaring her to go and sin no more, the one who is declaring that can say that because he knows he's the one who's going to be bearing the full punishment of all of her sin. That's a cool savior. This event so tells us who Jesus is. Neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. I just have to say this event is amazing. It is just utterly miraculous. Lord, as we begin our time together in your word, we are struck by your grace. We are stunned by your words. Words that we're going to see in the text about to come that can actually be hard to take, can even be hard to fully grasp and even hard to believe. but they're your words. But he was pierced. He was crushed. 
the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, each one of us. Each has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressions. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Imagine. Just imagine the deserved punishment being removed. No, 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 wait. Let me be more theologically correct. Imagine the deserved punishment that you and I have for being ones fallen short, replaced. Punishment replaced. Do you know that reality in your life? Do you know the reality of one who has made himself available to bear the punishment that you deserve because of sin? Do you know that? And if you do, go and sin no more. Well, let's jump into the rest of the text. I can so see this, why this is here. By the way, look at the very last verse of the text, verse 59. What does it say the result was happening here? What do you tell me? Verse 59. They wanted to stone him. Doesn't that sound like the... Okay, you got it. Let's keep going. Here we go. John chapter 8, verse 12. We are at the Temple Mount. We're at the Temple Mount. Uh, we're at the technically the Temple Treasury. In fact, if you look and you can look at verse 20 in chapter 8, it says that the Treasury is kind of this space right here, right in the forefront where we're at. You're going to see these two over here and one there, these kind of big, tall, like candelabras. Those are, in essence, are they're massive things that were lit during the time of the Feast of the Tabernacle. And so in here, during this uh, feast time, it was at nighttime, these would be lit. And they were huge. It was like a huge bonfire on top of these giant candelabras that would light the entire inside of that area and even creep out into the court of the Gentiles and even out, as was stated in other non-biblical texts, it would state how it would go out and even into the city. And then on top of that, what would happen is in the Feast of the Tabernacle, they would have all this dancing and people would be holding, you know, what do you call those with the light going on? Torches, there we go. Torches there that are lit up and, and, and the Levitical orchestra is just bringing up the amps and they're just playing and people are dancing and it's all night long. Feast, celebration and the light and everything and this glorious event. And this event that we're about to enter into takes place right after that. Pastor Eric took us through chapter 7 last week, telling about that during that time as well, right at the end of that time as well. 
And with that in mind, what I've just communicated to you, look at what Jesus states in verse 12. Jesus here in this area says, again, spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. How fitting is that? They had just had a week of this whole feasting time of the, one of the grand events was the, the fireworks of the time was the light that was cast. And Jesus declares this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now he makes the big statement. And then from here on out, we're going to enter into one more of these crazy conversations where Jesus is talking the eternal and everybody else is talking like not eternal. Okay. And one of the things about this text affects my wife earlier in the week. She had read it. She's like, where are you going to go with this thing? Um, because part of what's going on is this is like a tennis match conversation. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try and help us get a little bit of a feel on what goes on before we go into the text. I'm going to kind of cartoon it, okay? And what I mean by is with the talking bubbles, all right? Let me give you the gist of the conversation that allow us just to read much smoother, much quickly, more quickly through the text. First, Jesus comes out and he starts by saying what? What's the first statement? Huge statement. I am the light of the world. Then the people respond. You can't bear witness of yourself. He responds, the father and I can and we do. And then they say, where is your father, Luke? Um, You don't know my father and I am going away. And they're like, what? Is he going to commit suicide? Do you already get a kind of an idea like this? Like they're not on the same train track as they respond. Where are we at? You are, you are of this world and I am not. And they're like, who are you? I've told you. I say what I've heard from my father. What? And then you will come to know that I am he, the son of man. And look at this. And many believed. We're talking on that. Many believed. And then Jesus says, if you abide in me, in my word, speaking to those who believed, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they're like, set free? We've never been enslaved. No, no, no. You are slaves to sin and the, re- and the, the reality is that Abraham is not your father. So you are saying that we are Ill- illegitimate children. No, we're not illegitimate children. The only father we have is God himself. If God were your father, you would love me. You are a demon-possessed Samaritan. Jeepers, creepers. Not. In fact, can we all say that together? Not. You are possessed. And then it's like, hey, are you greater than Abraham? Who do you make yourself out to be? Got my little texting lingo going in there, huh? It is my father who glorifies me. And Abraham saw this. You could not have seen Abraham. You're not even 50 years old, the text tells us. Before Abraham was, I am. Didn't we just sing about that? Hmm. So they picked up stones to stone him. Okay, if you're already lost in the conversation, here we go. Just keep that before us as we go through this. Let's read the text. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Uh, The statement here that they are making is coming out of Deuteronomy 17 and Deuteronomy 19. Uh, it, It is correct. Back in the day, they had set up in the law that you had to have at least two people to be able to give witness. By the way, we really understand this nowadays. You know what's going on with all the politics stuff. You know, you don't have to have a witness. You just say stuff. No politics positioning here. I'm just That's the reality of what's going on out there. And yet back in the day, that was the case with what was happening. But also, could reference back, if you look at chapter 5, verse 31, Jesus said, I do not testify about myself. And I'll just say this, they're remembering what he said. That's a good thing. So they come in and they say, listen, you say I am the light of the world, but you can't bear witness about yourself. That's just not possible. So here Jesus goes on, verse 14. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I came from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. Boy, by the way, doesn't that really sound like the adulterous woman situation? I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two men is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And they said to him, therefore, By the way, did you notice uh, in this, where is your father? That's the thing they pick out. Where is your father? So Jesus answered. He's going along with him. By the way, uh, let me just note this. Throughout this whole time, one of the things, if you're in a place where you're just kind of questioning who Christ is and what all this is about, can I just note for you that Jesus continues to speak with them and allows the questions to continue to come? And he speaks truthfully and he speaks straight out about it. But listen, questions are not wrong. Where do you go with the questions? That's really the issue. Verse 19, they said to him, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me, not my father, nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. So much of John 5 right in here. Verse 20, these words he spoke in the treasuries he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. You get the idea Jesus is in full control of everything going on. Wouldn't that be awesome just to be able to have that, knowing what's going on place, rather than the fear of man, rather than the fear of situations going on, which we all struggle with, verse 21. So he said to them, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Is this smack talk? I don't think so. Because we're going to see in just a little bit, Jesus does communicate the provision for that. The opportunity to be able to get out of that situation. And yet the reality is this, straight up. When you're looking at life from an eternal perspective, you see life in eternal perspective that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Verse 22, so the Jews said, will he kill himself? I've gone back through this text so many times and I'm still trying to figure out where are you getting this? You know, I kind of get it, but not. In other words, is he going to commit suicide? 
so the Jews said to him, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. Verse 23, he said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. There is hope in the statement. Verse 25, so they said to him, this is a kicker statement. If I were you, I'd underline this or circle it, because I think this is the kicker in the statement with one other coming later. So they said to him, what did they say? Who are you? That is a fantastic question. Dude, who are you? So Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. In other words, the story hasn't changed. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the capital F father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, who are you? Answer, son of man. We'll come to that in just a sec. Then you will know, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. That's a cool statement. So here in this, let's just pause here for a little bit. Verse 25, the question is, who are you? That's the whole purpose of the Gospel of John. Chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. The whole purpose is that you may know who he is. And they're asking the right question. And Jesus' answer is the Son of Man. I want to pause here on this term for a little bit. Because in English, we so don't get this. The Son. Two big titles are used referring to Christ. The Son of God and the Son of Man. Two terms. Now, when you and I hear that, we instantly hear Father, Child, Son. Wiser, younger, less wise, learning to become wiser. Greater, less important. Older, more mature, less Okay, right? Isn't that true? That's what we naturally think. But that was not the case in the days of this time. The term son wasn't just about biological. It was. People would say, this is my son, Luke, in my situation. Do I have a son named Luke and I'm not Darth Vader? Or whatever his name is um, in it. But I'll say this. What's going on is, at that day, son was equivalent to son was equivalent to so when someone was saying son of god earlier in the text we find it declared by some of the pre-disciples who became disciples that declare him as the son of god what does that mean someone who like came out of god someone who's kind of like god like someone who's really committed to god and being christ-like no that's not at all what that term means that term means this God, equal to God, as in God. So let's carry that to the next term, son of man. What is that saying? I'm equal to man. I'm a man. 
That is one of the most fantastic statements ever in the Bible. God in the flesh, and by the way, most of the time, Jesus uses the term son of man. That's kind of his term that he uses most of the time. Why would he want to do that? Because I'm just your representative. I'm just like you. I'm equivalent to you in this reality thing. And that is so key because that's what went to the cross. That's why when he's talking to the adulterous woman, he can say to her, no one condemns you because I am. I am a son of, I am the son of man. I'm going to the cross. I'm taking your place. And so when they say, who are you? You're the son of man. But it don't, but we can't stop there because the son of man also carries this reality out of Daniel chapter seven. You want to note it down. Daniel chapter seven is verses 13 and 14. I'll read them for you. Daniel here is saying, I saw in the night visions, and here's what he said, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. There came one who looked like, what? A man. There came one who looked like a man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. What kind of kingdom? A kingdom where all peoples, nations, languages would serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. (laughs) When Jesus is making this term, he's not just saying, I am just one of you, God incarnate. He is also making clear reference to Daniel chapter 7. And whenever the Jews heard this term, they knew that tie. And Jesus here is declaring the Daniel 7 one, the one who's going to be coming, the one who's going to have dominion, the one who's going to have a kingdom, the one where all peoples, all nations, all languages will be serving him, I'm he. That's what's being said here. Okay, that's not implied in it. That's clearly why it all comes down to why they took him to the cross. Because he said he was God, and because he said he was this guy. And he couldn't have been. And so here he's making this declaration out. Look at what happens next. So this is the reason I spent the time on that. Look at verse 30. As he was saying these things, what's the next four words? Many believed in him. Many believed in him. Believed what? Believed what is the big question. Did they believe that he was God in the flesh, the one that the scriptures that I read to you about out of Isaiah 53, out of Psalm 22, out of other passages in the Old Testament to tell about the Messiah, the Messiah, that would come and would die on the cross for the sin of people, making salvation available. Did they think that's what it was as you and I hear and are thinking that? Or were they thinking, this is the guy that's going to come sit on the throne and be the king like David was ruling the world and he's going to be our man i vote for the latter because look what happens by the way may i remind us john chapter 2 i think it's verse 25 jesus knows all hearts here we go verse 31 so jesus said to the jews who had believed him uh, got that who's he speaking to 
He's speaking to the ones out of the crowd. In other words, maybe let me kind of put it like this. Let me kind of get up in the screen here a bit. So he's in this area. He's talking to this crowd. And out of the crowd, he's saying, and they're, who are you, dude? And he's like, in essence, I am the son of man. Right? You got a better full breadth of how they're taking this and processing this. And some believed in him. So let's kind of illustrate it like this. He's talking like this. Now there's some who believed him and it's like there's some. Now he's talking to these ones. Here we go. I'm sure the others are hearing. If you abide in my word and you are truly my disciples and you will know then and you will know the truth and the truth will. Let me start over. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And these who many believed said, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Can I just say right out of the gate, they're already pushed back. You see that? Questions are fine, but it's pushed back. So Jesus answered who? Answered them. Yeah, those ones. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That sounds like the adulterous woman. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you ones. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. Wow. John 2.25. Jesus knows the reality of what's going on in all men. You can do the ditty. You can do the dance. You can do the religious thing. But the fact of the matter is, is it really for real? And they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you you would be doing what Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, uh, God the Father. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing what your father did. They said to him, we were born not of sexual morality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father... You would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? I want to pause on that just for a second. Highlight this. The things Jesus are saying, and we've talked in the past here so far about Jesus is talking the eternal and it's like everyone else is talking here. That does not give the implication that it's not understandable. What Jesus is saying can be understood. That's a big deal. Jesus wants to be understood. He's speaking to be understood. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. Whoa. And your will, by the way, you notice this because he's just said, it is because you cannot bear to hear my word. And then he says, you are of the father of the devil. Kind of hard to bear to hear that. And your will is to do your father's desires. 
He is a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? That sounds like the adulterous woman story. If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Now in verse 48, the Jews answered him. In many ways, I think it, everybody's already hearing this, but it's kind of opened back up. The Jews are hearing him. Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Got the picture on what they're thinking about all this? Jesus said, not. I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? That's the second big kicker. You get this is the, this is the central question on the table, and it is a fantastic question. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, "If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say He is our God. But you have not known Him. I know Him. If I were to say that I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you." But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and he was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're now 50 years old and you've seen Abraham. (laughs) Jesus said to them, truly, truly. I say to you. Before Abraham was. I am very clear on what that statement was saying. Jesus is saying here, I am divine and I am eternal. I am God. So because they did not believe that at all, they picked up stones to throw at him. But look at this. This is cool. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Closing minutes here, let me just kind of uh, point to two things. I want us to hear two things. I want us to hear out of this text that's going back and forth. I want us to hear what a non-disciple, what a non-follower of Jesus Christ looks like. And I also want for us to hear, because embedded within this, Jesus is clearly saying what a real true disciple, what a real follower of the light looks like. So let me just bring those here in these closing minutes. Uh, let's first hear from someone, hear what someone without Jesus Christ looks like. In fact, let's just read the slide. You can't bear witness of yourself. Where is your father? Who are you? We've never been enslaved. We're not illegitimate children. The only father we have is God. We're in good shape. Wait, you're demon possessed. Who do you make yourself out to be? You could not have seen Abraham. Just even with that summation of these points, do you see the heart? 
Again, understand, questions are not bad at all. Jesus continues to answer them. He could have stopped the whole thing right off in the very beginning. But he continues to engage trying to help people get answers for their questions. I want for you to know if you're a person of questions, ask. But ask for the purpose of coming to drawing some conclusions out of it. These people just wanted to keep pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And the fact of the matter is, let me kind of put it this way. What we are hearing, we're hearing, I think, two things. We are hearing hearers that are not hearing. We are hearing hearers that aren't hearing. Seriously, just just take this passage, friends, and just dig into it, and you'll find out who Jesus is claiming himself to be, was he? We're seeing hearers that are not hearing. And we're also, I'm putting it this way, we are hearing critical thinking. Not people that are critical thinkers or that are critically thinking. It's just critical. How's that? Can't be, can't be, can't be, can't be, can't be. I hope that's not you. Because if I can, and I will, what you are doing is you are ending up putting yourself on the throne of all knowledge. And you are placing yourself as God of all. And I would just lovingly call you to humble yourself if that's you. And hear. And apply critical thinking to the process. Just briefly, what does a follower of Christ look like? Remember John 8 verse 11? Neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. Or as Jesus goes on to verse 12, what does a follower of Christ look like? I am the light. Follow me. I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And it looks like this. Follow the light. Verse 12. Believe the light. Verse 24. Abide in the light. Verse 31. They all mean the same thing. Follow the light. Believe the light. Not just believe like, I I believe there's Fritos and I believe Fritos taste good. We're not talking that. We're talking about believing to the place of following, to the place of abiding in. That's the kind of time to where I come in the critical thinking reality. And I come and I go, oh, my Lord, that is the light of the world. That is the Mashiach. That is the Savior. He was indeed the one who paid it all for her punishment. And all who received him to them who believe on his name, he gave the right to likewise become children of God. That thinking process comes to a conclusion process that requires a driving a stake reality. Have you driven the stake in the ground for Christ? Have you? Or just continuing to think, 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 think. That's not believing. That's not following. That's not abiding. That's interested in. I'll never forget the Sunday where Ron... comes down and he says after the service I need Christ have you driven the stake in the ground 
come to realize that this is what it has been about for me. This is what I'm about. But it's like, nope, I've got to follow the light. So what does it look like to be someone then who follows and believes and abides in? It looks like this. Verse 43, 47, hear his word. One that's saturated in truth. A follower of the light, are you saturating yourself in the truth? Are you hearing the words? Listen, once a week on Sunday is not saturated in. Please understand that. Uh, hear his word. Then verse 51 says, keep his word. It's living in that. I can hear it. I can know of it, but I don't, may not do it. And then verse 29 says to please him. It's all about him. It's not about me. It's all about him. It's all about him. And I can be all about him. I want to be all about him because verse 42, love him. Love him. Are you taken back by who Christ is? The reason I've got this picture up on the screen of the adulterous woman, because can you imagine her being just like, floored, taken back, awed, in love with Christ. Can you see that? Can you feel that? Why? Because she knows what has happened here. She is being released from all that is doomed on her right at the moment. And it's like, I'm about you. Is that you? Follower of Christ? Or has it gotten stale? Or has it gotten dry? Or has it gotten just to be a system? Fall in love. Your punishment, my punishment for sin has not just been removed. It has been replaced. And he took it all of my punishment, all of your punishment. He bore on the cross for you and I. We should be in love with that. It's one thing going on in your life right now. Follower of Christ that you can apply this to. One thing. What's been going on this past week? Past couple weeks? That you can in an increasing way take it to the vertical. Going through some pressures? Going through some struggles. Hey, what does God's word have to say about it? Have you gone and sought it out? If you need help to getting it sought out of his word, you need to be someone that hears his word. Then get with someone. Get with someone in your small group and go seek it out together. Hear his word and then live it out. And do it. Because... It's the most awesome thing to do. God, I want to thank you so much just for your grace. I am just astonished 
with the questions, having someone right in front of your face stand there and call you demon-possessed. I cannot even fathom how you did not literally crush the living bejeebers out of them. Yet you are patient, wanting all to come to know you, even them who declared you as such. You were willing to engage with them. You were willing to bring truth to their questions. You were willing to push them back as they pushed you. And Lord, it could very well be in here this morning that there's someone that has never come to that place where it's like, listen, I've been uh, playing an inquisition game with Jesus. I've been playing religious churchy game with God but I've never come to the place where I've driven the stake in the ground and received Christ as my Savior. God, today's the day, if that's the case. And that's only work you can do in their life, but you clearly lay it out on the table. God, for that person, if that's the case, I pray that this would be the day that they drive the stake in the ground unto salvation to follow the light and person, if you're wondering if that's you this morning, I want you to know we've got people down here at the front at the end of the service that love to be able to talk with you or if you came with someone this morning talk with them, don't let this go by and Lord, I think of what I would anticipate is the majority of those here have done that I would ask that we would just see you as the light oh there's so much darkness and we and we too often get wrapped up in it Oh God, like we sang earlier, may we hate the dark. May we love the light, that's you. May we be a people that stands on the west side of Indianapolis as a people that is dead dog serious about loving Jesus Christ with it all. Not perfect, not all there, but transparently pursuing the light together. May that be the name. May that be who we're about. And may we do it together. Because you're glorious, because you deserve it. Because that's what you've called us to be. Oh God, may we run to you.